Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Blog Talk Radio. Um, Gigabit Nation is our show today, and uh, we're here in New York, actually, uh, on location for the Intelligent Communities uh, Forum's annual conference. Um, today, we are going to look at a topic that uh, everyone talks about, not really sure if people have a good handle on how to, how to get from here to there, but it's all about innovation. How do you, once you put these broadband networks into place, uh, how are you able then to generate some level of uh, innovative applications, innovative uses of the technology? Um, we, we, we hear about it all the time. People talk about it, promote it. But what what really does uh, does it does it mean? So we're gonna we're gonna go into that in a little bit. Um, today uh, we should also probably get a little bit of background about um, the Intelligent Community Forum, which some of you may not uh, be aware of. This is um, a uh, think tank based here in New York City that studies the economic and social development of the 21st century community, and. I'll have our guest in a little bit given a little bit more detail, but key among their many projects is a year-long quest to find a community that's on the leading edge in terms of using technology and other resources to advance that community's economic standing and improve the overall quality of life for its constituents. Um, over 400 communities from around the world are reviewed and vetted. They 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 have to create um, documentation and so forth to show how they're being uh, being innovative, how they're being leading edge. And uh, this afternoon at the conference, we will meet uh, the top seven intelligent communities. So basically, over the past year, that list of 400 or so has been uh, streamlined down to seven. And uh, these represent uh, a number of um, a number of countries. Uh, Canada has uh, Stratford, also Quebec. Um, Finland is represented. Uh, geez, and in the past they have been literally from from just about everywhere. Uh, last year, um, Chattanooga and Riverside were two U.S. cities that were among the uh the the top 7 as also was uh, Dublin Ohio and then we've also uh, have Riverside California back again they are among this year's uh top 7 intelligent communities um along with Austin <clears throat> from the US uh Taichung uh in Taiwan is another one of these leading companies. So we'll get to meet them, talk a little bit about them in more detail. Uh, tomorrow they'll go into great depth, and I'll be tweeting uh, from uh, the conference. So I'll be uh, try- trying to keep track of all their various uh, accomplishments and so forth. Today will be particularly interesting since we will uh, get to see demonstrations of the coolest community broadband apps. And uh, that's always a a fun time. Um, Then on Friday, ICF will announce the Intelligent Community of the Year. So that's uh, a little bit of the the background on the um, ICF event. 
there are mayors here from uh, from all over the world, literally, and uh, I hope to be having some uh, interviews with a number of them beyond just the the top seven. Um, tomorrow's Gigabit Nation show will um, have several of these um, mayors on the show uh, talking about in more detail about their specific um, projects that they have going on. We'll have, let's see, who do we have lined up for tomorrow? Um, Riverside will be here. Um, they've actually been on Gigabit Nation before talking about their digital inclusion uh, program. We will have uh, Stratford and um, Stratford, uh, last year I found out a little bit to my surprise, is actually the home of Justin, Justin Bieber, and I won't risk incurring the wrath of all the Bieber fans out there, but um, yeah, you got to be famous from and have to come from somewhere, so that's his hometown. Uh, actually, they have a lot going on in terms of, of technology, and they are definitely a very uh, progressive city, technologically speaking. And, and their use of broadband has been rather uh, rather interesting. And so they'll be on the show tomorrow. Um, tai Chung, uh, tai, uh, Taiwan, their mayor will be on discussing uh, some of the stuff that's going on there. And so we will um, we'll definitely be rounding out, uh, like I said, a very interesting week um, pertaining to, to, to innovation. And one of the reasons why uh, we decided to have uh, that be the focus of the show, besides the, the, the ICF uh, tie-in, of course, is that um, innovation is hard to define, I think, as much as it is easy to see once it happens. And so the question that comes up is, well, if you're giving uh, billions of dollars away, which as we have done with the broadband stimulus program, we have a uh, expectation that there will be, you know, innovative applications from this. Question always rises up, at least in in some of the more skeptical folks, is, well, what exactly what does that mean? You know, what will we get? What will it be? Will it be worth the money that's invested? And those of you who follow my show know that I talk a lot about many of the. Um, impacts of broadband. There's economic development impacts. There's healthcare um, delivery impacts. Now, some of that is um, efficiency, increased efficiency. So the ability to um, have doctor's records, have x-rays, MRIs be transmitted from rural uh, doctor's offices to major uh, hospitals and medical facilities in larger cities which I consider that more of a streamlining of a process that already exists. Then you have, you know, uses for the technology that haven't even been dreamed of yet. If we look at Facebook, uh, you know, five years ago, anyone looking at that original version of it would not have said, oh, this is going to be, um, you know, the leading edge of, of innovation in social networking. But it is what it is, and it's turned out to be rather spectacular in its in its success. So you know you have to look at um, you know broadband in the context of you know there's streamlining uh, of of current um, operations and procedures and so forth. Then you have um, you know things that when people have sort of a well, gee whiz, uh, I didn't realize I could do that. And then from that 
um, gee whiz moment comes a an idea and a thought and it gets developed and eventually applications are are developed and so it's an interesting uh, process I feel that um, you know we kind of have to look at and see how and what ways we can uh, can manage that as we have talked about um, the various areas that um, broadband can impact can impact. I would say that uh, some of the areas that are called top of the list as far as candidates for great innovation is definitely healthcare, medical care delivery, the ability to monitor uh, patients' medical conditions starts to change how you deliver healthcare because you can be more um, proactive. You can be more preventative. You don't have to wait till there's a major medical catastrophe in order to intervene in a person's um, health care uh, delivery. And then from that come uh, more, um, you know, more interesting, wilder, just, you know, pushing the envelope kinds of applications that really push medical technology and medical care delivery um, to, its, uh, to its highest level. So I am going to uh, really turn this now over to uh, an expert in the area of innovation. And one of the interesting things, too, one of the reasons why I invited uh, my guest today, who is Robert Bell, one of the co-founders of the um, Intelligent Community Forum, is that he sees stuff from around the world. He goes to the various countries and looks at the various applications. And so his perspective is global. And I think that in America, we need to have more of a global focus uh, in order to help our local focus be more spot on and, and be able to achieve more. So, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here as well for me. I got the... Uh, Early bird special, and so I'm just running all amped here on, uh, oh, and it's good, to, but it's definitely good to be in New York City. Don't definitely. tell people what you're amped on. That. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem, not a problem. Well, I've given them, a, you know, an overview of what ICF is about, but let's talk about the um, this conference, <clears throat> this conference in particular, because it, on, on the agenda there's a lot of focus on innovation. So what is innovation? Yeah, it's a, well, innovation is creating something new, uh, creating a new process. It is um, finding a new source of supply, finding a new way to deliver something. Mm -hmm. um, all of those, you know, that's sort of a dictionary definition of innovation, but those are all ways in which you can profitably uh, create something new. And, and I say profitably meaning either money or social good. Um, or an advance in our understanding, something that we, the creation of something that has value. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just the next Facebook or the next Google, which were clearly innovative in their own right. And of course, we have the iPhone and the iPad and all of that. And we look at people like Steve Jobs as being, you know, kings of innovative technology. But it sounds like what you're describing is more than just the physical technology, more than the physical product. It's a way of life that you can change. Yeah, interesting. We, we of course, look at it from the point of view of the local community. That's our. That's what we care about. That's what we think is the engine of, of uh, well, it's the engine of most of the economy. It's the, engine, it's the place we live and the place we care about. Mm -hmm. So what we're interested in is the ways in which 
a community can make itself a platform in which innovation takes place. Right. And that means uh, a place where innovative companies can come and create uh, good quality jobs and grow and find reasons to stay instead of moving away. It's a mm -hmm. place that um, creates employment for the young people who grow up in that community. Mm -hmm. um, rather than having them, forcing them to leave for economic reasons, if a community can find ways to keep its next generation, then its future is secure. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, then, then there's all these spillover effects because innovative companies want to work in places that are innovative, in places where their employees and their managers will want to be. So there are places that are cool, there are interesting services, there are arts and culture. The whole community is pushing forward all the time. That's an amazing dynamic when that starts. It's mm -hmm. become self-reinforcing. Mm -hmm. And you see it you know, most famously in, in here in the States and places like Silicon Valley where it's kind of accidental. Um, but, but you see it here in the city of New York. Uh, a lot of innovation takes place in the city in, in hundreds of neighborhoods, and, and most of it goes you know, sight, out of, sight out of mind for, uh, for us on a national level. But it's an intense thing that affects people where they live. Mm -hmm. So now, for the pragmatic among us, or the pragmatic among our audience, uh, and definitely those people who are, you know, the you know we call them bean counters, but you know those folks who monitor the money, as well they should. As well they should. There's no doubt about that. But but can you measure innovation? I mean, can can someone say? You know, in in 2009, we set aside uh, and began alloc began allocating seven billion dollars. Now here we are, two years down the road, and we're looking at a number of these projects being completed in the next year. You know, will we be able to measure innovation, or is that a bad position to take? No, that's a, it's a, anything that's important has to be measured. Mm -hmm. um, well, the question is always who's we and and whose money is it, and so forth. I mean, innovation tends to be a team sport. Right. So business, certainly, before it chooses to invest in something, will try to understand what its return is going to be. And if it's not a good return, they're not going to do it. Uh, for a community, innovation very often is not actually a particularly costly thing. Uh, it's more a question of getting people to work and think differently. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a matter of changing minds more than anything else. There are a large number of studies about you know, the fact that innovative companies, however that is defined, have higher, you know, higher profit growth, have higher revenue growth, and on and on and on and on. So the case is pretty clear that it's a good idea. It really comes down to actually the thing you're you're putting your, your finger on. How much is it worth investing to get that return? Mm -hmm. Most of the things that are done on the community level that involve innovation are not very expensive. They, what they mostly require is a bit of political capital, mm -hmm. not so much uh, financial capital. Right. So if you look at a uh, network say it's a $2 million expenditure, how much of that, in other words, that evaluation of the network, should we measure in terms of innovation you know, versus the other things that you can possibly do with that network? Well, I'll, let me tell you the story of a, a small city in, in uh, southwest Virginia called Bristol. Uh, Bristol was a classic have-not community. It's a, it's a tobacco country. Uh, and his industries are agriculture. It was tobacco, but of course that's mostly gone, and mining. And not a place with a great future, you would think. But the people of Bristol decided that they wanted more, and so they uh, had a um, an electric 
like they own their own electric company, and their own electric company, after due deliberation, began building communications networks. Mm-hmm. And they served uh, initially. They served the city government itself, and that's fine. There's never a legal problem with having city government build its own network to serve itself. But then, being pushed by the businesses and the citizens of uh, community, they said the city council made the brave decision to go into competitive telecom, and mm-hmm. it involved them in large numbers of court fights. And this little city of 17,000 people ended up spending two and a half million dollars in legal fees over three years to win the right from the cable company and the um, telephone company to actually offer competitive service. And it turned out that those, the cable company and the telephone company were really smart to fight it because within five years, these guys had 60% of the market. They were cash flow positive and had been invited to, to build networks out into the surrounding counties, which became magnets for economic development. Mm-hmm. So. The network itself broke even pretty wet, broke even pretty easily. They were good business people. They just they did the numbers and said, "We can make money doing this for our owner, which is in this case the city." Mm-hmm. But all the other impacts that came out of it, the, the entire high school is online. If you take a standardized test at the high school in Bristol, you don't do it on a piece of paper. Mm. You do it on a computer. Uh-huh. Uh, if you uh, if you are in Bristol, you may work at a new data center or a new software engineering company that's about a 30-minute uh, drive away on the, on the Cumberland Plateau, which is served by this Bristol, Virginia Utilities, and is only there because of that connectivity, mm-hmm. and, and on and on and on. So it's, it's not, a simple, not a simple set of decisions. There is no equation. There is, uh, sounds like there's part faith and there's part, you know, you sort of set the stage. And well, then, you, your, network has, I mean, your network has to pay for itself. That's real easy. If you're spending... Mm-hmm. Either a company's money or the public's money, your business model has to be extremely sound. Right. And if it's not, then you shouldn't build it. Um, but the thing that you can't put into the into the formula is the many many impacts that are going to occur on your community with its economy. I don't know how you measure any of that. Mm-hmm. And I think other communities are in the same boat. I mean. The most con- one of the most consistent things I've found over the last two years is few people can figure out a formula, but they can look at it and say there's impact here that justifies every penny that they put into the network, and for the most part, um, their constituents will agree with that. But it does seem to be a, a nebulous thing, and which is actually one of my questions, which is, <clears throat> can you plan for innovation? Oh, In absolutely. Words, absolutely. Let's let's talk about that. <laughs> Before we talk about that, I just would say that I mean the another thing I'm a great fan of in communities that are really really worried about the money. That, you know, they're they're thinking about building a network. They're worried about their legal position. They, I'm a great fan of doing it in stages. Uh, um, yes. You know, you sh- with most telecom buildouts, you should be able to do to divide it up into enough small pieces so that each piece is cost justified in itself but they build to a greater whole. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this as we've studied communities over and over again where that's a primary issue. They're worried about um, they're worried about the money. Um, you can usually get your cost justification taken care of, and what you find is five, years, five, six, eight years later, you've built the network that you were dreaming of eight years before, right. and it's paid for itself along the way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like to see communities go out and put a big wax of money down on a dream. Uh, cause I think that's inevitably you're gonna you're gonna 
make your taxpayers angry at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But to come back to your question, um, sure, planning for innovation is actually essential. Um, innovation, the formula that we see over and over again, if there is a formula, is variously known as the triple helix or the innovation triangle. And it's you, you work hard to get your business community working with institutions, which may be universities, they may be hospitals, they may be health clinics, they may be uh, community colleges, they may be the secondary school system. And with government at the table as a, as a partner helping everybody get a common vision of uh, what, is it, what, are, what are we strong at in our community? What are we already good at? Well, how can we leverage that for this information age? What have we got here that we could take to the world because moving it there now is a matter of pushing some electrons down a wire. Mm -hmm. um, if you roll this out to its largest potential, you come to a place like Eindhoven in the Netherlands where a set of cities there were in crisis because of some, a major employer that pulled out. They actually agreed to pool some funds and create this or an organization whose sole job was to work on innovation, you know, 24 hours, well, not 24 hours a day, but certainly 365 days a year. And they do that by sending their staff. It's a membership organization. Businesses belong to it, the universities and the technical schools and the, and the hospitals and everybody, all these organizations belong to it. They pay into it a little bit. But their staff runs around and says, well, what are you good at? And what's your gap? Where, is there some, where do you have a weakness? Where is there something you want to change? And they put, by having those conversations with all these partners, they end up coming up with something, well, your company could work with this institution over here that really needs something solved. Mm -hmm. And what we'll create will we'll generate money, it'll, it'll create employment, and that money will stay in our community, mm -hmm. which is an amazing model. Right. And I think on some scale or other, communities all around the world could pick that model up and say, what we need is somebody who's working on innovation all the time. It, it, it doesn't need to be accidental. So now, is that person different than, say, the network champion? Like, if you look at Smarter... Um, uh, Smarter Cape. Yeah, Smarter Cape was a conference. Open Cape is there, is the project, mm -hmm. right? So Dan Gallagher has been the champion, right? He is... Breathe, lived, eat, slept this thing for the last X number of years. But is that, when you're saying there should be someone in charge or driving innovation, would that be a separate person or is that one and the same? Or It depends. I think, it's, I think it's asking a lot of a human being to be really, really good at driving a network for, project forward and also be really good at, at creating a, a platform in which people come to, to well, it's, there's a technical term for this, which is open innovation. Mm -hmm. um, it's a real discipline in itself, and it takes a lot of a lot of energy and a lot of expertise. So, you know, I wouldn't tend to try to ask one person to cover all that ground. But right. Like all these pro this is this is by the way one of the hardest things you can do. <laughs> getting finding the champion. No, finding get, the getting you know getting business and universities and hospitals and government all sit down at the table and find the common ground and develop projects and drive them forward is very difficult. They all have different missions. They have different objectives. They measure things differently. And yet they all, the leaders of those organizations all know intuitively that they need to work with each other. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how. Right. And so it, it's really, this is really a people, a people skill set. Mm -hmm. It's a people skill set and it's about, Teasing out opportunities. It also takes a lot of vision. It's about teasing out opportunities that, that 
don't currently exist, but which are there. I'll give you an example from Eindhoven's. It's one of my favorites. There is a smallish company there that builds custom-ordered computers, and they started in a guy's dormitory room in, in university when he was building, um, yeah, he was, he was just ordering components and building computers. And it was successful, and it grew. When I visited, they, uh, they had an office building and probably two or 300 employees, and they shifted into laptops. And so they had a nice business. It was a custom integration business. And the folks from this organization with a funny name, Brainport, is the name of the innovation <laughs> organization, uh, came to them and had the conversation. And then came back to them and said, look, we've discovered a problem. The schools in our area, there's about 700,000 people in this area, so it's pretty big school districts, mm -hmm. are challenged with technology. And we all know the schools are challenged by technology. They don't know how to pay for it. They don't know how to manage it. They don't know how, it's very difficult. And they would like somebody to help them with this. Is there a business opportunity here? Well, what came out of that was a program called School, S-K-O-O-L. Mm -hmm. um, and it works like this. When the kids enter, I don't know what grade they get this, but they, they get a laptop. And they turn it on for the first time and connect it to the network. And this laptop downloads everything that that student needs. It identifies who the student is and gives them access to the learning platform and the texts and whatever else it might be. And that's all coming off the servers of this company. And this company operates the interactive learning platform that connects the students and the parents and the teachers and the school system. And again, that's all being operated by this com company called Paradigit. And their entire tech support team consists of three people, not three shifts, three people. Wow. Because they built they, these guys, uh, their whole skill in life, the reason the company exists is they build bulletproof systems. Mm -hmm. Nothing ever goes wrong. So the school gets this company that runs their servers, runs their, their data communications platform, runs all their technology for them. Um, and this company gets a line of business it never had before. Mm -hmm. That's Okay, that's innovation. It's on a relatively small scale. But if you replicate that over with the, the 80 projects that these, this particular organization is usually running, mm -hmm. the impact's enormous. Interesting. Yeah. So they've, they've done well by... Sounds like good, just good planning. I mean, in, in the sense of um, maybe not planning for a specific innovation, but planning for how that resource will be used. Planning, and how be having goals. Mm -hmm. Their current project is called Brainport Health Innovation, and they're trying to deal with the problem we all have, which is that we, we can just look at a calendar and know that the cost of health care is going to go up because our populations are getting older. Mm -hmm. What do you do about that? Well, you can wring your hands. <laughs> Always an effective first step. Right. But they came up with a strategy that says, all right, we project that in, yeah, let's see, this is 2012, in eight years, the cost of health care in our region are going to go up by $8 billion. And wow. we're going to need 100,000 more people just to look at, just to do the low-level work of looking after the sick and elderly. Mm -hmm. They don't have 100,000 people. Um and so instead, they've set up a project, they've set up some big goals. They say, by 2020, we're going to create 150 new companies with 10,000 employees whose job will be to increase the productivity of healthcare by 1% a year, which mm. doesn't sound like much, mm -hmm. except that healthcare is the only field currently in, our, in, in the industrialized world where the productivity rate actually goes down year by year. Mm -hmm. So we only field in which you apply technology and we get less productivity because we do it so badly. Wow. So these guys have said if we can just shave a 1% off the productivity every year for the next eight years, 
we're going to save, we're going to need 25,000 fewer people and we're going to save most of that $8 billion. Mm-hmm. So five simple goals, huge ambition, and now let's start doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a great model. Again, you could take it down to a city of 10,000 people and say, what's our biggest set of problems? Mm-hmm. And how can we harness our community college, our business community, our school system, our government, which is small and lean, together to address those big problems. Mm-hmm. That uh, that definitely makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. Does there have to be any particular technologies in place? Like, for example, I mean, we're all talking about broadband because one, that's what the show is about. But um, you know, we we have hung our hat on. Uh, to a certain extent, broadband as the driving innovative force, whether mm-hmm. it be wired, wireless, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, as you look at communities, are there other technologies? Are there, are there some things that need to be in place, technologically speaking? Well, broadband is the new infrastructure, right? So if I asked you whether you needed roads in your town, you'd say, of course. If I right. do any water with clean water, pipes with clean water, yeah. Electricity, yeah. Well, you need broadband, so it's not. It's, it's really simple. I mean, it's the, it's where back in the days when Netscape was a profit-making company before Microsoft wiped it out with their free browser. Mm-hmm. Um, they, apparently, the management used to like to take guests to the back of the, of the of the building where the big fiber optic cable from Pacific Bell came in, and they'd pat it and say, "This is where the money comes in." Mm, okay, Which I think it's a great example of, you know, <laughs> when you talk about broadband and the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the fundamental infrastructure, the fundamental technology. After that, it you know it all depends. If if uh, you are Oulu, Finland, which is one of our top seven intelligent communities, the fundamental technologies are uh, mobile. No, Nokia is a big part of their economy. Nokia, mobile phone company. Ah, oh, right, right, definitely. Fundamental technologies are healthcare systems. So it's healthcare information technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I'm. A passion. I, I get really excited when I see communities pursuing gaming as a as a, uh, something they want to pursue because the underlying technologies of video gaming are all about simulation, and simulation is a technology that's becoming part of healthcare, engineering, education. The list goes on and on and on and on. So, developing some strength in that in that area equips you to play in a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. And I will actually, you know, I was I was talking to a um, uh, one of my doctors, and uh, he was saying, "Do you know what kinds of people they look for, look to when they're trying to get recruits for doctors who will be in arthroscopic surgery?" To which I had no idea whatsoever. He goes, "Kids who are good at games because they can look at something while manipulating a device in their hand while being distracted." while whatever else is going on. But it's that ability to look at the screen and then be able to dexterously manage this device. He goes, because that's basically what osteoscopic surgery is. You have a monitor, and then you are watching this tube, whatever, going to someone's vein or whatever it's doing, but that dexterity, eye coordination, whatever. And so, you know, and so though he wasn't really talking about, you know, what we're talking about as far as innovation, Games seem to be the one thing, whether you're talking, you know, a military application, health application, or just planning. I mean, SimCity was like the game back in the 80s. You know, most anyone out there who's 25 probably does not know what that's about. But, you know, we remember SimCity as this game where you built a whole community and you had to deal with all various kinds of 
of uh, you know disasters and revenue base and all the rest of it. Peeping toms and peeping toms. <laughs> but it was it was the games that drove an interesting way of thinking about you know civic problems, civic challenges. I once met the happiest colonel in the Canadian Army. <laughs> As part of a, a visit, I get to go to these. It's funny, I have, I have a very different view of government than most Americans, and I think it's because I visit these communities and I see these incredible governments, mm-hmm. imaginative, innovative, forward-looking, collaborative with their citizens and businesses. To me, it's, it's an incredible story. Well, in this case, I was visiting one of, one of these communities in Canada, and they, I was taken to an army base that's on within their, their borders and was introduced to this colonel who builds simulation systems to train troops um, for difficult situations. Mm-hmm. The one that he was showing me was, we know there are some armed bad guys inside this inside this room in this building. How do we enter that room? Right, right. And you know, so he finished showing it all to us. I said, you've got a great job. He said, oh, I am the happiest guy in the Canadian <laughs> Army. He said, I just, they pay me to build video games. That's amazing. <laughs> And yet, nevertheless, it's a source of serious innovation. Oh, extremely serious. And then, you know, kinds of, all kinds of craziness. So let's talk about the worldview for a second here. We, um, when, when the discussion of broadband and the world comes up, you know, we Americans get dinged having really crappy speeds and quality of service and all, all the rest of it. If I take away our speed issue for the moment, for a second, um, where do we stand in terms of innovation? I mean, are we at least innovative as you know we can be given the limitations that we have compared to the to the world stage? Well, you know, there's more than one school of thought on that. There's a, a place, there's a, a think tank in Washington called the Phoenix Center, which did a really interesting bit of work about two years ago. They, you know, you you put up this raw list from the the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD list, and the U.S. ranks, I think, 19th currently in the world in terms of broadband speed and capacity. Um, if you look at the list, there's something interesting about it. You're comparing apples to oranges to grapefruit to pineapple. <laughs> there are there are um, I think the top ranked country is currently, but it's not currently. Then recently was Denmark. Mm-hmm. Denmark is tiny. The United States is a very large place with very large, wide-open spaces. So what the Phoenix uh, Center did was to do an analysis that factored in geographic size, uh, degree of wealth, and a couple of other factors uh, of regulatory environment and so forth, and then rebalance everybody's numbers. And as soon as they did that, the U.S. jumped up into the top three mm-hmm. because, you know, we have got great connectivity in a place like New York City. Um, if you if you go out to the center of the nation in a town of 200, we have horrible connectivity. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because we believe telecom is a free enterprise, uh, free enterprise only zone for the most part, and mm-hmm. therefore there's not much economic case to wire up to provide high quality broadband to a town of 200 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very it's, it's a very nuanced thing. Um, I actually am very excited right now about some new developments in satellite because there's a, a company called Viasat that's rolled out in January, a new service called Exceed, E-X-E-D-E, offering 12 megabits, it's 12 megabits down, one up for 50 bucks a month any place in the continental United States by satellite. Mm-hmm. And they claim, and the guy who runs the company and founded it is one of the smartest people I've ever met, 
that they can give you a pretty close to terrestrial experience. We'll see. But those kind of things to me are the answer for dealing with everybody else who unfortunately will never will never wire the town with with uh, that's the size of a county and has a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Going to happen. Well, okay. I mean, I, th- there's definitely an economic issue in play. I think that um, interesting enough, you know, as we talk about innovation, I know that. In fact, I just did a report about <clears throat> innovative ways of financing broadband. Mm-hmm. And it takes one of the things that you brought up, you know, doing things in stages, because several of the communities that I highlight, um, such as um, up in Vermont, the EC Fiber Project, mm-hmm. and, um, and and, and uh, what was it, uh, Mid-Atlantic Broadband Cooperative. Mm-hmm. I mean, they basically either started with one app or they started with one segment of the community Saying let's get them up and running. Oh, in fact, in Emporia, Kansas, they're they're a case where four guys got together and uh, went after investors in the traditional sense, fifty thousand minimum. But the deal was, they said, okay, it'll cost us twelve million to do the whole mm-hmm. town, right? But if we got a third of that, we can build enough to sell enough to get enough people excited about it that we can move this project forward. So I think that innovation comes into play or will need to come into play with broadband because we have the vast geographies, you know, and then I know. Well, I know, and I, and I agree with you. I mean, right. you know, you're describing the other models. Right. And as long as it's a free market-only zone, then then we're never going to do the, the thousand people in, in the size of the county, but right. that doesn't mean that those people are, can't do something themselves. Right. And they can't right. come up with a model that works. And co-ops are, I love co-ops, um, where, where you can do it legally, they are incredibly powerful ways because... I like them so much because you get more than just a network out of it. Mm-hmm. Because you've built a co-op, you've now begun, you've created the nucleus of an innovation engine. You've got a bunch of, of organizations that are already used to collaborating mm-hmm. in a trusted way to accomplish a goal. Why stop with a network? You know, it, it's, I don't think anyone's even brought that, that particular position up, but you're right. You, you work so hard at making the co-op uh, do its thing that the the net result is that you have a bunch of people who are clearly vested but also have figured out how to how to innovate, how, how to innovate and how to work together which you know they go hand in hand once you get it once you get a sip of that secret that secret stuff you want to do it again <laughs> <laughs> well I, I would contend that that is Chattanooga's um, big success is their ability to get I don't know a dozen different stakeholder groups uh, to work together, and it's like a mix and match thing. Like as it was described to me, it's like depending on the project, you may get the chamber and the downtown committee and some innovation group that'll be part of that project. And then for bringing the aquarium in, they'll get two or three other stakeholder groups. And and you probably met Ken Hayes. I mean, mm-hmm. He basically talks about um, the ability for people to just know what needs to be done, and they have a couple of meetings, and they're off to the races. Well, they have a very compact leadership team there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the things I noticed about them was, you know, there's five. I don't know what I've tried to meet them all. I met six people, and I kept meeting them over and over again. <laughs> you know, and you began to see that they all know each other, they right. trust each other, and then they they are are they're the conduit. They're the mm-hmm. people who bring in the, this group, that group. They make the connections as they're required. Right. So Chattanooga is in a great position. They're a medium-sized city with the the kind of leadership, the cohesive leadership of a small one. Mm-hmm. And because they've got the electric EPB down there, the resources of a major one. Right. So it's a really nice position there. Mm-hmm. Now, um, <laughs> we're going to touch on the holy wars here for a second. 
Um, there is there are the um, fiber only people. Mm-hmm. There are the wireless only people. Um, there are some of us who kind of try to straddle the middle. Um, is there a is there a speed basement, if you will, that you have to have threshold in order for there to be solid innovation? And can we, you know, is there one true technology religion, or are we are we shooting our innovation in the foot by having these sort of you know schisms, if you will? Yes, we are. Um, I, I get very impatient with with religious arguments about about technology. Um, technology is a tool. So, what's the job you want the tool to do? Right. Um, if you if money were not an object, yes, by all means, let's run you know gigabit fiber every place in the world. But money is an object. What goal are you trying to accomplish? I'm mm-hmm. a great believer that it's better to have a little bit of something today than perfection ten years from now. So. Once you give people a taste of what a, a decent level of broadband can do to their lives, their economic position, I mean, you can, there's been in newspapers, I've seen this phrase over and over again recently in the last couple of months, which is you can't even apply for a job unless you can go online. Right. Well, that, wow. Okay. Talk about a stark dividing line. <laughs> I can't get a job unless I know how to go on and fill out an online job application. Now, there are jobs where you don't have to do that, but that's enormous. So what do I need so I can go online and fill out an online job application? Mm-hmm. You know, I need, I'm not going to have dial-up anymore. I need you know, pull down and, and one up. Um, but once I've got that, I want more. Right. And that's what people in the employees, I like the phrase. <laughs> You're assuming that you are all-knowing technology they need. The people will know what technology they need if you give them some. Right. And it's not necessarily the end of the world if they take wireless today, you know, call the, you know, if a project costs $100,000 and if they build a wireless network because $100,000 won't buy enough fiber for that community, doesn't it make sense then to have, you know, the $100,000 investment if you can get $500,000 worth of value and then build on top of that or at some point, and I wish I could remember, there was an example where, um, oh, good lordy, I can't remember which industry it was, but it had to do with technology. So the guy's basic philosophy, the IT person's basic philosophy was that I bought this stuff at X and I made, you know, 10 times its value. I'm okay if it goes out the door tomorrow. Because, you know, we got that value. And then at the time that we bought it, there wasn't any other budget. You know, he couldn't get a budget approval for, for, for X amount more than that. But, I mean, his basic philosophy was, yes, we could have waited for the perfect, but we needed stuff then. We needed to move then. We needed to be competitive as a business. This was a private sector guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we needed to be competitive as a business. We needed that technology. And so, you know, we figured out that, you know, if we bought this technology in and we spent X, we would get that value. And if we had to junk it later, it would be sad. We'd find somewhere to donate it to or whatever. But we would go on because in the short term, we would realize a value for the investment made. Well, there's one other factor that I think people don't <clears throat> take into their plans, which is, and we've seen this over and over again, communities will, will make the tough choice to build some kind of network mm-hmm. and bring their, because they can't, get a, they can't get a private sector partner to do it for them. Right. 
and they'll do it, and it will be you know successful, modestly successful, whatever. And an amazing thing happens. The same private sector partner that wasn't willing to build the network beforehand will look and go, "Wow, there's a lot of demand in this market. Mm-hmm. I think I better get into this." Right. Um, this, ha- this happens everywhere in Westchester County, which is one of the richest counties in the United States. It's just on the northern border of New York City. Couldn't get fiber, couldn't get Verizon and the other, a couple of the other players who dominate here to come up there because the, the pickings were so vast in New York. Mm-hmm. So the county executive did this amazing deal. He went to school districts, water districts, city governments, uh, fire departments all around his county and said, how much are you spending on telecom? And he got ended up getting 23 of these districts to come up with a, a $10 million annual spend. And he said, well, and then he went to a, a cable company. Sorry to interrupt, but some folks want to put media on the computer okay. and you, right you timed out. I'm right there. Okay. Um, sorry for the interruption out there. Life goes on here. <laughs> Got to keep the conference going. Um, and so with that that spend, he was able to convince a cable company to build him a fiber network, which then all of these, these organizations utilized. And lo and behold, a few years after that was up and running and was enormously successful, suddenly Westchester County was a place that every carrier had to be. Hmm. And so now there's overlay after overlay. Mm-hmm. Now that's easy because it's Westchester County, but I think the same dynamic works in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, that you take take the step of proving that the demand is there, suddenly it's a, it's a, it becomes popular because there's money there. And it's all about the dollars and cents. I mean, at some point, you know, it's like there's uh, three lakes, I believe, Wisconsin, where it's a small place, it's rural, and um, they, they, they couldn't get anybody to take any interest. So they had a county fair, it was the equivalent of a county fair, and they brought um, all the the... Oh, what was it? A couple of wireless companies, a couple of WISP, basically, uh, a cable company. And at the fair, basically, the, the purpose was to bring all these people in the community together and say, these guys are here, tell them what you want as far as broadband. Right? I mean, it was still a fair, and people were still having a good time, but people were able to, like, in mass, present, you know, their case, you know, potential subscriber mm-hmm. to potential seller of services. To which then all of a sudden these guys who said, well, you know, I can make these numbers work. I didn't realize there was 200. I mean, we only need, we're a WISP. We only need 50 to be profitable. Right. We, only need a, we only need 100. You know, the cable guy decided that, well, you know, I can actually run some cable into here because these guys are serious. You know, and it, yeah. it's like, you know, and it wasn't, you know, you talk about innovation not necessarily having to cost much. I mean, the fair didn't that cost was, a lot of money. Innovation. That was the innovation. Exactly. Then which led the people coming in saying, okay, we're going to provide services. And off they go and they're happy and, and, and all those other kinds of things. But let's talk about... Craig, I'm afraid I, I have to go actually and do okay. a technology thing. Not Another technology thing. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I know you've been pretty busy and stuff, and I appreciate you spending time with us and my audience here on the show. So thank you very, very Absolutely. much. And uh, we'll be we'll be in touch. I'll actually be uh, tweeting, uh, you know, the next couple of sessions. And tomorrow I'll have several of the mayors on from the different uh, top seven uh, communities. Well, you'll have some very interesting conversations. No doubt, no doubt. Thanks so much. No worries. Take care. Have a good day. And thank you to our audience for for checking in. Um, This has been a very informative session. I think that there's a lot to be um, pondered after we all go home. Uh, Check in tomorrow. Our show is going to be at a different time tomorrow. I think it's at... uh, 
2.30 Eastern time. We're going to have uh, four mayors come in, so it'll be a two-hour show. Uh, but we'll get a little bit of a worldview of innovation and what's happening in other places. So, again, thank you very much for listening. Tell all your friends. Come on back tomorrow, and uh, let's get more broadband done. Have a great day.